On Sex Positive Me, we explore all aspects of sex and relationships, ranging from fetishes and BDSM to ethical non-monogamy and LGBTQ issues. Sex Positive Me destigmatizes sexual practices and relationships while reconciling reality with myth and misconceptions. Our goal is to educate, entertain, and be advocates of sexual freedom. And now here's your hosts, Angelique and John Luna. Hello, everybody. Welcome to July's COVID. God knows what, four months in and trying to keep our sanity with my co-host, John C. Luna. I'm still alive and still here. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) After I finally officially started my Florida Center for Hormones and Wellness Treatment there. So that was a rough patch right there. That but it's I turning wonder. into a good patch. It is now, yes. My libido is higher than usual now. So now it's like, you know, poor little John has to hide when he's tired and oh, exhausted. I never hide. Oh, yes, you did. The other <laughs> day did. you did. As soon as I said sex, and you just ran and hide. <laughs> because I was asleep. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, know. I know. He was like saying, you did that creepy look, you know, that stare. <laughs> Well, I think we're both enjoying the benefits of that. Yes, we do. And thank you for being our sponsor, the Florida Center for Hormones and Wellness there. So we're going to talk about some fun stuff, which we haven't talked in a while. We're talking to Miss. <laughs> that was a nice yell at that. <laughs> Lena Landry. <laughs> I love the way that flows off my tongue. It feels Frenchy. Exactly. See. <laughs> But let's see, she is a, I'll do the best to do my little summary. I always, I would just toss it up. <laughs> uh, you want me to toss that up? Toss it up. I was going to, okay. Okay. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. So my name is Lena and I have been in the adult industry for about five years now. Um, I started it as a stripper and then I transitioned into porn and Um, Initially, I started as a performer, and then I kind of moved into more of the agency and recruiting side of things. So I was recruiting performers, I was filming, and I was also booking shoots for people. Um, And then I kind of transitioned about a year and a half after that into producing my own content independently, into webcamming, custom videos, Skype shows, that kind of thing. And I've been doing that ever since. Very cool. I'm sure... You know, when you hear about the adult industry, um, in any industry, the behind the scenes is always the best stories. I bet you have some amazing <laughs> stories going back there. I have some stories. <laughs> I have a few stories, yeah. Um, I, my uh, experience in the adult industry kind of runs uh, the, the full gamut, you know, from one end to the other as far as uh, the, the really amazing, like mind-blowing stuff, and then the really not-so-amazing mind-blowing in a different way kind of stuff. <laughs> we, we, well, we're very fluent in the fetish industry and we've definitely seen the, oh, that's amazing. And oh, wow. Wow. The wow. <laughs> <laughs> like head twisting to the, um, what, what is it? Bless your heart. <laughs> but hey, we don't yuck on anyone's young. No, we don't. Everyone has their taste and deserves to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So, um, one of the things you mentioned we wanted to talk about um, was, again, in- empowering improvement in the industry. Obviously, the industry has changed a lot. Mm-hmm. I think it's constantly changing because it's yeah. pretty much changed from the 90s because back then it, I know it was big studios. And mm-hmm. then the Internet came and a whole thing changed. And even in the last probably six months, it's changed a lot yes. with COVID. Yeah, definitely. I think that the sex work industry in general, and um, specifically the porn industry as well, is one of those industries that's kind of forced to be on the cutting edge of things because we're kind of always being edged out of the conversation. Um, Mm -hmm. Porn in particular has driven a lot of innovation, especially from a technological standpoint. And, you know, a lot of the technologies that we enjoy today were pioneered by porn and porn users. Um, So, it's kind of this interesting conundrum that at the same time, all these different laws and things are being put in place to make our jobs more and more difficult. And so we're kind of constantly forced to be on the cutting edge of whatever's next in order to avoid being silenced or, you know, having our industry kind of just wrecked by some external influence. (laughs) 
that, that is absolutely so true. Um, I watched a documentary, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm dating myself now, <laughs> but it was talking about like technology in the 80s. Mm -hmm. And there used to be this big battle between like VHS and beta, which are like the two mm -hmm. different formats. And someone actually in the video sat down and said, the porn industry went with VHS and that's what won. Yep, I think I remember reading an article that kind of went through the different sort of um, like same thing I think with DVDs, it was kind mm -hmm. of a similar situation. And then again, with, with video streaming on the internet, I think that porn definitely was one of the first industries to really adopt that and push that. So we all wouldn't have high speed if it wasn't for the porn industry. <laughs> well, up and what else would we need it for? <laughs> <laughs> Why else did they create smartphones? Come on, give me a break here. That the is screens get bigger for a reason. <laughs> so we could go everywhere and watch it there. Come on. There's this great meme about the development of the, uh, the, the cell phone. And it starts with the phone and it goes smaller and smaller and down to like the little flip phone. Then it says, discovery, you could put porn on your phone. And the screen <laughs> is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Yep, yep. <laughs> ah, well, that, that, that's, that's so interesting. Um, so one of the things you mentioned was parody porn. And whoever, <laughs> yes, and they yeah. saw that social distancing porn. I was like, what? Explain that one. I, I was like, like that one. Yeah, I was like, does Dr. Fauci know about this? Or is it? <laughs> yeah, um, that could be a, a small issue. I didn't really, we, we didn't give that too much thought, but we kind of just rolled with it. Um, so actually, that was mostly my partner's idea. I can't take too much credit for that. Um, we were both kind of brainstorming things. As soon as the COVID thing hit, we were both kind of like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity. Like we've been wanting to capitalize on some kind of trend. And we were just, you know, running around with ideas. And so I'm kind of the more serious one. So I came up with this um, kind of like horror idea where um, I won't go into too much detail, but basically it's kind of like a dystopian love in the COVID era sort of horror ending porn um but then as things progressed it didn't like seem yeah i know you would <laughs> um it just didn't seem as appropriate we didn't want to be feeding kind of the fear and the panic as things started to really set in um so we decided to go with his idea which was you know dr fauci shows up at my house in a hazmat suit and he's like you know, hi, ma'am, I'm here from the government to make sure that, you know, we're doing everything we can to make sure that you stay home and you stay safe. And so um, there's a funny little gag bit about, you know, first, I'm like, well, I could really use like a manicure, you know, since everything's closed. Um, actually, my fingernails look pretty awful right now, too. But anyway. <laughs> all of us are. Um, and then, of course, you know, the second best thing besides a manicure is dick. Right. Of so, <laughs> so he's like, oh, well, that's perfect. I have just the tool. And um, he proceeds to brandish a uh, basically a, a broomstick with a dildo attached to the end of it. And so that's kind of the rest of the scene is just, um, you know, basically simulating social distanced sex with kind of an extended strap on device. Um, so yeah, it, uh, it, it, was, it was really, really fun to film. And then um, it was really interesting to edit also. <laughs> and the response has been pretty positive. So it was a really, really cool experience. Well, I'm so glad with, like you said, in, independent where you do it yourself, the turnaround is so quick. Yeah, That's, definitely. You definitely. can get it out there right away because now I'm looking at porn. I'm always, when I do look at porn, especially on, on you know, the, the, the channels that are available, you never know when they were filmed. Yeah, exactly. Like I had scenes that would be filmed, you know, six months or even sometimes a year beforehand, and then they wouldn't drop until, you know, X amount of time later. And they, they really have a massive backlog of content. So to do anything super quickly in the, in the porn industry, if you're working in a mainstream environment is a little bit more difficult. Um, but actually, that does bring me to another point, which I want to plug. Um, there will be a part two Ooh. to sing. Um, and we actually were commissioned to film it by a mainstream company. Congratulations. So, Yay. So I don't want to say what company just yet because nope. they haven't started promoting it, um, but just something to be on the lookout for. Very so. cool. Yeah. You see, when I saw, first saw the video <laughs> and it has that still frame on it, I exactly looked and I'm like, is that a microphone on the end of that? And I was like, no. <laughs> because you usually see... Anytime you flip on the news these days, 
you know, they're talking into a mic, and with then a, it pans back, and they're four feet away with doing a this. Fish, with a fishing rod or something, like, right there, here you go, it's like, speak up. But I'm like, not going into the vaginal area, I don't think that's a microphone. Well, I bet you, if we, put, if we put it out to the universe, there will be a oh, microphone-shaped dildo any, any moment now. That's going in the vault. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having the talking Volvo right there like okay this is a live version of uh big mouth <laughs> there we go <laughs> oh well so tell me how has quarantine changed your life and especially being in the industry well um it's kind of funny because for me personally i am a homebody to begin with and i work from home quite a bit um i did have a quote-unquote vanilla job um as a, an event technician for concerts and things um but you know obviously large gatherings kind of out of the question so uh, now i'm just full-time content that was probably the biggest shift for me was going from um you know spending a few days a week there spending a few days a week making content or camming and now it's just all content 24 seven. Um, so for me, that was a big change. And my partner actually was laid off for a few months, which was not good, but also kind of cool because we got to spend a lot of time together and we got to make a ton of content together. Um, you know, he helped me with a lot of projects that I had had on the back burner. Um, so aside from that, it really didn't change too much. But one thing that I have noticed um, to move to kind of a more collective perspective is that within the industry, it's really shifting how content is created, even by mainstream companies. Like, I don't know if you guys have seen that um, sites like Deeper and browsers are now having their talents shoot things from home, or they're like providing them with the equipment to shoot from home and to, um, create their own scenes for the site. So it's kind of a more intimate model. Um, and it's definitely brought also a lot of would-be sex workers out of the woodwork as well. So I think a lot of people have seen the opportunity in quarantine and the opportunity in digital sex work as a means of remote work. So um, that's been an interesting shift in the market for sure. There's a lot of new faces, um, which is, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, and I think that one of the biggest things is that mainstream performers are starting to realize more and more that they don't necessarily need to shoot for mainstream companies in order to make the same amount of money or in order to, um, you know, further their careers. So that's been something that's been really interesting to watch. Interesting. That, that, that's, that's a big change. Huge. I mean, it's a new evolution of the porn industry now. Well, of all the things I thought COVID may do, opening up new job opportunities was not one of them. <laughs> on list. But um, all depends. I mean, look at the hand sanitizing company. Looking at yeah. the, you know, the paper towels, all the all the cleaning because they still can't keep up. We 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 had a toilet paper argument earlier today. So yes, <laughs> that's a prime example of new jobs. Go crank out some more toilet paper. Yeah. <laughs> so. We knew eventually the sex industry was going to transition that way, but for some sex workers, it's not possible because they don't want to be visible. So I know there is audio clips there that they do as a possibility, but again, it's still a wild, wild west in the industry, especially in camming. So yeah. any suggestions that you may have for anyone who's plotting or thinking about going that route? Um, definitely. So I think that the biggest message I have for anyone who's interested in getting into sex work, especially right now, is that consistency is going to be the name of the game for you. Um, I think a lot of people get into sex work, particularly digital sex work, with the idea that, you know, oh, I'll just make an OnlyFans or I'll make a Chatterbait account and, you know, send my IDs and cool, I'm all set up and now I'm going to make thousands of dollars the first month. And that's unfortunately, um, it's definitely feasible, but probably not in your first month, unless you have a massive following already to tap into. And I think that um, if you manage your expectations and you understand that this is like any other business, it's like any other entrepreneurial opportunity, you know, the first few months, even as much as the first year that you work, I mean, you're going to be working long days. 
you're going to be working, you know, long hours within those days and you might not see much of a return at first and you just have to keep chipping away at it and you really have to be consistent. You know, you have to show up consistently. You have to show that you have a quality product or service that you're providing and you have to have something that makes you stand out. So, you know, it's, it's not as easy as people think it is. There's definitely a lot of benefits and a lot of flexibility in this work, um, but it is a huge commitment. And I think as long as people understand that, they'll be in a really good position um, to come into this industry, even with oversaturation, um, and be able to make something for themselves. Oh, and the good news, it is oversaturated, um, but it's also oversaturated with more people being at home and more customers online. That is also so true. I'm that finding people that would normally not do it or normally, you know, would watch porn once a week or something. Now they're not in an office yes. and they're at home <laughs> in their computer and they okay, have a lot more sure. free time. <laughs> so, you know, clicking that mouse over and opening it up and, and following mm -hmm. someone is, is a whole new temptation. Yeah, that definitely. wasn't there before. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause there's no firewall now. Cause you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the whole thing. I always hated that firewall. Well, at least you don't have a company that puts a recorder on your on your computer. Oh yes, no, I had that too. <laughs> and, and, and its name was M I C K E Y. <laughs> oh, I would never have guessed that company would do no, that. No, <laughs> no, never. <laughs> they never control all their content. Never. But they like to give people with red pens to like say, denied, denied, wrong. I, I was I was in marketing. So I was that red pen villain. Ah, I see. <laughs> so one thing I, I, um, I've heard a little bit about is, um, have you ever had like your content, I want to say, stolen or used? Because I know people have kind of said, you know, they, they put content out there and they're not sure what's going to happen to it. Um, if it may end up on the wrong sites or it might be used hate to say in ways that they didn't intend to, but it, it, it can happen. Is that actually something to be worried about or is it just, you know, part of being in the industry? Um, I think that it's a little bit of both. I think that if you are somebody who is thinking of, you know, showing your face or any identifying features, it's definitely a factor that you have to consider. Um, there are definitely steps that you can take to kind of distance yourself from that persona, you know, making sure that you're not using the same devices for your personal social media and your work social media. Um, because regardless of what you do, they will be linked. If you make an Instagram on an account where you're logged into your personal Facebook, your personal Facebook friends will get suggestions on Instagram to add you regardless of whether you link them or specifically unlink them. Um, just as a small example of how those things happen. Um, so, you know, there's definitely precautions that you can take. Um, but as far as, you know, things ending up where you don't want them, um, you know, DMCA takedowns are an option. It depends, you know, how effective they are is hit or miss depending on the site and depending on who you have doing the takedown for you. Some sites will actually do takedown requests on your behalf. Um, I want to say that, Pornhub does it and uh, ManyVids does it for sure. And I know that there's others that do as well. Um, but just, just a couple examples. So those sites will basically reach out to whoever's using your content and say, hey, this isn't yours, you have to take down. And you have the full power and backing of that platform as opposed to just you, an individual emailing this random person like, hi, take my stuff down. Um, for me personally, it's really interesting because I have not actually experienced a lot of that. Um, but I think part of that is because I've been pretty much out as a sex worker for a while. And it also came as no surprise to anybody in my hometown. <laughs> I, think <that> the, <laughs> I think that the biggest source of those kind of breaches happen from people that know you personally and think that they're going to have some kind of leverage on you or, you know, be able to use it against you or it's, or just as a source of entertainment, you know, just as, Oh, look what so-and-so is doing. I found them on, you know, whatever website, you know, Oh, it becomes, you know, talk of the town kind of thing, especially depending on where you're from. If you're from like a smaller town where people kind of know each other and people talk about things like that. Um, for me personally, I haven't experienced it too much, but the one time that I did actually was recently was the first time that I had it happen. Um, and it was a couple of my many vids videos and it was a site that was basically emulating many vids and like stealing content from various stores and then aggregating it on this kind of many vids, like, um, knockoff. 
white label. Yeah, knockoff, exactly. Um, and so I submitted the request to many vids and I honestly haven't really checked back into it. Um, but I'm inclined to think that the sort of people who are going to steal porn or going to view stolen porn are probably not potential customers most of the time. So for me, it's just a different market completely and I just try not to worry about it too much. But again, I have the luxury of being out and not really worrying too much about it. Um, but if you are somebody who has a lot of you know, high stakes when it comes to that and there's a lot of things that you stand to lose, it's definitely something to be cautious about. Um, now you could wear masks, um, you can use, um, I wanna say a, a VPN or a proxy IP address. Um, I don't know if I'm using those terms right. I'm kind of- Nope, yes you are, you are. are. <laughs> you are. <It's> <laughs> not, but I know kind of bare bones. Um, so, you know, there's, there's ways that you can, you can, um, you know, you can block certain locations on pretty much all sites. So, you know, if you can block your state or even your whole country from viewing, of course, people can get around that through the same things that I just said. So, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. I think that it's, it just depends on how how important is it to you if people find out and are you prepared for the response if people find out and that is kind of a harsh reality that that all of us as sex workers face it definitely is something that they anyone getting into the industry needs to be prepared for yeah absolutely uh, yeah we've done a, a little work <laughs> there. a few fetish videos and such but um i was just curious to await the platform to it because we know youtube if I have like a three second clip of music I didn't pay for, somehow they know. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, well, you know, we don't get the same protections because we're not really, we're technically covered under DMCA, but the government really doesn't take us seriously and it doesn't take our content as a product or an art form seriously. So when it comes to copyright infringement and things like that, um, court cases are really difficult and it's just not something that's really easily enforced um, because of how, disrespected our industry is in the eyes of the law <laughs> no you got you got it right on mm -hmm. one of the uh most aggravating things is when i found out with everything going on with covid um they kind of excluded sex workers yeah yeah from the small business loan applications yep specifically well set, all of, you know all of them even um novelty stores there so any yeah. sex retailer they can in, we're, we're just like but you're a health and wellness store what the heck you know yeah. why not? Oh, but they're fine they're fine taking our taxes they're oh yeah oh, of course, of course. <laughs> they're always down. there with their hand out but as far as yeah. you know helping us out that's a whole nother story yeah yeah so with that, we're going to take a quick little break and, you know, pay respects to our sponsors. And we'll be back in a moment. <laughs> hey, John, I want to get a new toy. Okay, so let's go to Fair Villa. But I don't want to waste time trying to find out what goes with what. Well, there's Fair Villa University and their staff is very well educated and helpful. Okay, but how about if I just want to go to a party instead? Then go to their website because on their calendar they list all their events. But I don't want to spend a lot of money. Have you heard of their loyalty program? Oh yeah, that thing on my keychain that makes everyone blush every time they see it. That's the one. Let's go. Well, they have over five locations in Central Florida. Which one do you want to go to? Fair, Fair Villa. Villa. For, For pleasure, pleasure, fun, and, and fantasy. fantasy. Okay, and we're back with Lena Landry. Such a cutie. <laughs> And uh, you just like saying her name, that's why I do. It just flows <laughs> off the tongue, you know. Yes, and you're turning bright red. You have to see the video, he's red. I'm always red. It's hot in the studio. <laughs> We're in Florida, it's always hot. <laughs> I believe you. Oh, yeah, and you're even further south than us. But, <laughs> that is true. Um, oh. uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about which is just is kind of like little secret thing of recruiting because <laughs> it, it does seem like that because, you know, anyone go ahead and start up a, uh, a cam website and get in there and, you know, do the best they can at it. But there, a lot of us are just fuddling around at that point. You know, we're, we're trying, especially in COVID, but to hear you worked on the recruiting side of it, it is really interesting so yeah because when she starts saying that i'm like oh, oh, oh i got questions it's like what, do you have like specific looks iq test um you know what do you do what do you not do i mean wh where do you find these people and, and also it's it's porn has definitely taken a turn like i said in the last even 10 years that there was a very specific uh i want to say almost like miss america you looked in this shape and there were these dimensions 
And for the most part, the guys just needed a last. <laughs> you, 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 you know, and, and it has changed, um, obviously, with, with drugs like uh, Viagra and Trimex. Any guy can be a porn star as long as he you know, <laughs> looks now. Definitely have uh, come into it. The guy does need to look good. No more uh, Ron Jeremy's coming out here. <laughs> but um, again, I'm curious about, you know, the, the type of people, how it works. Uh, I heard the word model house, which made me perk up. So, oh, no, because as soon as she said model house, I was like, oh my God, you'd like the Big Bang Theory where Raj and Wallowitz break into. <laughs> A little bit. It. I remember that episode, actually. Yeah, vaguely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, recruiting is. Kind of a, yeah, it's a big uh, topic to cover, but the, the long and short of it is that um, whenever you see a performer in a mainstream, you know, working for a mainstream company, um, they're usually represented by an agent and that agency is usually, you know, finding some way to recruit new talent. Um, there are some agencies that predominantly work with long-term career management, and then there are some agencies that predominantly work in finding new talent and bringing new talent into the industry. Um, so I was on the side of bringing new talent in, and then I, what I wanted to do was actually transition into kind of doing both, into finding new talent that wanted to build a long-term career. Um, so I was really interested in the management side of things and um, kind of creating longevity because a big issue, um, at least when I was working, and I think this has kind of shifted as well recently, but I'm not as um, in touch with that world um, these days, but um, this would have been 2015, 2014, 2015, 2016, um, somewhere in that range. So the main issue was turnover. There were, it was like you know, you bring in 10 new performers a month and then they're gone as quickly as they came. And it was really rare that you would find one or two that, that wanted to stick it out um, or that were able to stick it out for various reasons. And it really attracted a wide gamut of people. Um, I met everything from, you know, what some would consider survival sex work where somebody's in a really tight spot and they really need, you know, they're trying to avoid eviction or trying to feed their kids or whatever it is. And they're open to this kind of work and they're, you know, looking for, you know, something, something that's fast and something that's, you know, easy, quote unquote, um, and, you know, trying to make a quick buck. And so I saw some of that. And there was also the like super career oriented, um, performers who wanted to, you know, give it a shot, who want, who really had been dreaming of doing this for a long time and found my ads and, you know, thought, oh, this is the perfect opportunity. You know, I want to work with this agency and I want to make this a career. Um, so it kind of just ran the gamut of people who really were just looking for a quick buck. And then, you know, once they were done, okay, that was fun. I'm going home now. Um, and then there were some who were like, yeah, I love this work and I'm, you know, I'm really in it for the long haul. And um, some of the performers that I recruited are actually still in the industry today or were in the industry at least for a few years and had positive experiences. Um, so that was really nice to see and really fulfilling to watch their careers kind of blossom and know that, oh, like little old me, you know, I recruited them four or five years ago or whatever it was. Um, so basically how it would work was we would, mostly me, so I was basically the main recruiter for my agency. I worked with an agent and we were business partners. And so I would go on sites like Backpage and Craigslist when they were still allowing adult ads because oh, obviously that's yeah, so that's that's been something that's definitely shifted. And I'm, I'm curious to know how agencies have adapted to that now because that was the main source of new recruits was responses to advertisements. So we would run ads all over the country and, you know, we would kind of give our spiel, you know, here's what you have the potential to make. Here's performers that we've worked with, you know, call us, talk to us. We'll give you references. We'll, you know, give you all the information you need and you can decide if it's for you. Um, so we would then usually front their plane ticket and then they would just pay us back after their first scene. Um, and that was pretty much how it worked. So I would basically screen people and, you know, explain, you know, everything from, you know, the amazing things to the, here's the kind of harsh realities that you should probably be prepared for if you do this. Um, and they would kind of weigh the options and decide. And then from there we would fly them in. They would stay in our model house. Um, 
and we would, you know, go get them tested. We would have their photos taken and then we would have the photos sent out to all the companies that we work with in the area. And from there, we would just try to book them pretty much as much as we could. And, you know, um, once they were done, they would usually stay about two weeks to a month. And then at the end of that time period, they would decide whether they wanted to, you know, okay, I'm done, I'm going home. Or if they wanted to, um, you know, stick it out and turn it into a career. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, but the whole idea of turnover is, that's no surprise. I mean, I'm sure the people who would get into it and really don't expect what it is. So I'm sure some people come into it and think it's a constant party. Yeah. And in some ways it can be, it's really interesting. Um, it's, it's a very fast paced world to be in if you're heavily involved in it. Um, it's a very image driven industry for obvious reasons. Any entertainment industry is going to be, you know, along those lines. Um, and there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of, um, it's one of those things where you have the potential to really like your head can swell, you know, because you're suddenly, you know, you're showing up to this, this, you know, beautiful office and you're having your makeup done, your outfits chosen for you. And then you go to this set and it's a beautiful mansion. And, you know, there's a director who's telling you, you know, oh, you're gorgeous. This is perfect. This is amazing. Okay. We're going to do this, this, this. And, you know, there's an attractive guy there waiting for you. Um, and it's a really, really exciting world to be in. Um, and it can also be kind of intoxicating in, you know, and that's, you know, take that how you will. Um, but it's one of those things where in order to last a long time, you have to be someone that's able to manage that. And you have to be someone that's able to not let that affect your outset and not let that, you know, change the way that you're making decisions and the way that you're living your life. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, it definitely does make sense there because people just look at the, you know, luxury. It's like, Ooh, it's a quick book. It looks easy. And sometimes they don't realize that there's a lot more work that goes into it. And the key word is work. Mm -hmm. So we know like one porn star actress who was telling us about her anal scenes and you know explaining that she can't eat for three days it's like 62 degrees and there's 10 guys there and you can't do anything or like oh that that that's the dark side of it so it's not easy it's not yeah. easy especially more complicated shoots like that for sure wow it's a whole it's a whole nother world out there and like you said it does keep keep changing and it, it went from the studios to the, the porn sites and if I understand now, there's a reason why it's going to performers holding their own sites now. Um, so I have a little theory about that. Um, and this is just based on observation and also based on um, a lot of my ideas are also coming from um, Amberly Rothfield. Shout out to her um, at Amberly PSO. She's amazing. And I yes, she's the one who says our intro. If you listen to our <laughs> intro or our podcast, yes. Yeah. Yeah, so she's great, and I highly recommend anybody who's interested in any of this, go follow her. Um, so I did a consultation with her last year, and one of the things that she really stressed the importance of to me was building a personal website. And that is something that a lot of performers have been shying away from because the platforms that we have available to us make it so easy. You can go on many vids or ABN stars or OnlyFans. OnlyFans is probably the biggest and the hottest topic right now. <laughs> um, so these platforms make it super easy to just, you know, you point your cell phone at, at yourself and you, you film a couple of videos and you throw it up there and, you know, boom, you have your own clip store, you have your own sort of website, but it's not really yours. And at the end of the day, I think um, a lot of these platforms have major, major downfalls to them. And it wasn't always so, but as these platforms have um, evolved and changed with the times, I personally have felt um, in particular with OnlyFans, <laughs> um, and I'm hesitant to, to say uh, a specific platform here, but just because of everything that's going on with the whole tax situation. Uh, oh, I, I wasn't even going to go to the tax situation. <laughs> I was going to go to the loyalty because OnlyFans started off supporting sex workers and then all the mainstream influencers are like, hey, let me go over there. And then all of a sudden OnlyFans is kicking out the people who help them grow. And I was like, that's just wrong. 
Exactly. And it's, um, it, it's one of those things where, you know, if you've been around a certain amount of time and you've kind of seen the way that things have shifted and changed, it doesn't come as a surprise because that's what, that's what the, the relationship between mainstream and, and the adult world is that the adult world pioneers something, makes it popular, makes it profitable. And then mainstream says, okay, we got it from here. We're kicking you off. And so that's been the case with almost every major social media network, with almost every you know type of um, technology or you know like streaming sites or you know even YouTube. Like sex workers are not allowed to be monetized on YouTube, even if our channel has nothing to do with sex work. We are not allowed to monetize our videos. Um, Hold on, you are technically labeled that you even if you went on there and let's say did a cooking lesson, because you're in sex work, they won't let you monetize it. If they found out that I was in sex work, even if I had it under a different name, they theoretically could pull my monetization, yes. That's just morally corrupt. Well, look, we can't get any <laughs> money from them anyways, because in our title itself says sex positive <laughs> me, so. so. I'm sure you guys are well aware of all, all those restrictions. Um, yeah, Boston, so, Sesta, and all those. So, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So, point being, um, I personally think that it's going to be really, really crucial for performers at this time to really start looking into creating their own websites and not just, you know, I think it's fine to start with just a personal website with a little bio and some links and a couple pictures, and that's fine. But I think that the next big movement in the industry is going to be creating your own content subscription websites totally independent of everything else. And I think it kind of harkens back to, I want to say about 10, 15 years ago, when the thing was, if you weren't working with a mainstream company or, you know, I don't even think campsites were, they might've been around 15 years ago, maybe. Just starting. Barely. Just starting. I think so, ManyVids was right. the, one of the pioneers. They were, they're the oldest as far as we know, ManyVids. So, yeah. Um, I think, I want to say that Clips for Sale is a Our bit clips older. Were, yeah. Yeah, I think Clips for Sale might be the oldest um, as far as platforms go. But before that, it was pretty much you had to have your own website. You had to have a webmaster. You had to have somebody who knew how to do those things. And it really was not very accessible for the average person to just go and build a website. Whereas now, you know, 10, 15 years later, as all these platforms are starting to shift and starting to push us off or not offer support or not offer traffic, um, to our stores, I think that it's going to become more and more important to have your own kind of slice of the internet that's yours and that nobody can take from you and that you profit off of 100%, you know, besides overhead costs. I think that um, the percentages that sites take compared to what we get in return for me personally is not enough. And um, so that's one of the reasons that I actually right now am looking into building my own content subscription site because I've been searching and searching for a platform to be my home base. And at first, you know, I, I, at first I thought it was this platform and then, oh, it comes out that they're doing something shady and then it's this platform and then it's like, oh, they put out something racist and then it's like this platform and it's like, oh, I don't agree with that thing that they did. So I kind of finally just realized the only perfect platform and, you know, I say perfect loosely, the only perfect platform is going to be the one that I build myself. So I just decided, you know, there are plugins and there are, you know, page builders and there are all kinds of super accessible methods now um, for people to build their own e-commerce sites. And while it is a lot more difficult to find, you know, payment processors and hosting solutions that are sex work friendly, um, it's not impossible. And there are definitely a lot more options than there were. So I really think that the next big push in the industry, sorry, my cat is trying to make her opinion known. Um, <laughs> the next big push in the industry is going to be um, performers deciding to take, really take charge of their business and just do their own thing completely. Yeah, because doing that, then you have more control on your analytics, where people are coming from, because exactly. as far as we understand, the other third parties are not sharing as much. No, they're not. The data that we get in comparison to a YouTube channel or a Twitch streamer or any other form of mainstream content creation is honestly abysmal. We don't know where our traffic comes from. We don't know who constitutes most of our traffic. We don't know how they find us. We don't know what, what products or videos they're looking at or you know what things they put in their shopping cart before they decide to buy or not buy. You know All of these things that are really crucial for e-commerce businesses to make decisions about the direction that they're gonna move in, we don't get those things. And I think if there's a couple reasons for that, I think that 
One of them is honestly, and this is a point that's been raised by several people, I think a lot of platforms don't think that we have the capability to understand that data. So I think they think that there's no point in providing it to us because, oh, we won't know what to do with it anyway. And I think that the other, <laughs> yeah, and I think that the other big thing, which Amberly mentioned in her open letter about this very topic, and I think everybody should go and read that open letter that Amberly Rockfield wrote about this because she really perfectly sums everything up. Um, one of the theories that she posited was that actually these platforms could be relying on us entirely for their traffic, in which case they wouldn't want to reveal to us where their traffic is coming from because then you, you find out, oh, what am I giving you 30, 40% of my income for if you're not bringing me traffic? So that's the other thing that's really great about building your own personal website is that your overhead pretty much stays the same. You know, of course there's variances depending on how much, how many gigabytes of, of video you have or content you have or whatever, but you know, within reason, you're gonna know exactly how much money that costs you every month. Whereas if you're making, even if you're making just $1,000 a month from your sex work, that's at least $200 that you're giving away to that platform. And that's about how much it costs to run your own content subscription site, and it stays at that cost. So if you go from making $1,000 to $5,000, you don't go from giving $200 to $1,000 over to that platform. You stay paying $200 and you get to keep most of your income that way. And I'm thinking for the amount of content and models and performers they have, the amount of money they are raking in is insane. Outrageous. Yep. It is. It is kind of mind boggling to think about. <laughs> yeah. Especially nowadays with um, technology and information being accessible. I mean, we have found quite a bit of sex workers who are very business savvy Mm -hmm. And, you know, we appreciate Amberly, you know, going and coaching and showing people, you know, you could do the same thing, just, exactly. you know, do the research, study and, you know, be business focused because it is a business at the yeah. end of the day. And I do want to say that, you know, I definitely understand the appeal of the ease of use of platforms. I think that the biggest drawing point that these platforms have is that, you know, most of them cover chargebacks. Most of them take care of all the technical, you know, support issues. You know, you don't really have to think about it too much. You kind of just, you make your content, you upload it and, you know, you promote it and you don't have to worry about the backend side of things or the admin side of things so much. Um, so, you know, there's definitely something to be said for the ease of use and for the, um, the lack of headache involved with using platforms. So it really just depends on, from your perspective, you know, is using this platform less of a headache or is doing it myself less of a headache? Or is it worth the headache to be independent from this particular type of headache on the other side? So I think um, it really just depends. But for me personally, um, I like to be in control of my product. I like to be right. in control of my everything. That's just how I am. So for me, um, and I think for a lot of performers, it's definitely going to appeal to them to have total control over everything, over their entire business. Especially if you're building those relationships. Yeah, that's it, just in business. That's the way to go. Mm -hmm. um, and one thing we definitely do stress, and we please tell our Tell our listeners, pay for porn people. Yes. Um, these ladies and, and gentlemen don't work for free. They yes, have expenses. Not free. <laughs> the platforms take a lot of money. And then there's the equipment and the places. There's a lot. There's so much involved. And it, it is, it's not what people think it is. It's it not is a cash cow like it, it was maybe 30, 40 years ago. Hmm. Um, a lot of it has changed. And yeah. Yeah. It's very labor intensive for sure. Um, and I, also something that I think a lot of people don't realize is that payment processors, specifically for the adult industry, um, they consider us to be high risk. So what that means is that, you know, where let's say, you know, uh, an e-commerce store selling makeup or bags or whatever, you know, they maybe get charged one, two, three percent tops for their transaction fees. We get charged 10 to 15 percent. Ouch, it's jumped that high? Yes. I remember 11 years ago, it was about 7 and 8%. There might be processors that offer that, but in terms of the industry standards like CC Bill and PsychPay, it's pretty much across the board. You're looking at at least 10%. And well, yeah, that was CC Bill 10 years ago. So yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's jumped. 
And there's really not a huge reason for it. I mean, you know, yeah, there's the chargeback argument, but at the same time, most people that I've spoken to have really not had many issues with chargeback, no more than your average subscription site or your average e-commerce store. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, I think um, Caden Cross was in an article, I can't remember what magazine it was for, but I read an article the other day and um, she was talking about, this was when I think tr- she was still running Trenchcoat, and she was talking about how difficult it was to find banks and payment processors that were willing to work with her because that's another big thing is that we're hugely discriminated against by banks. Like I personally have had two or three bank accounts shut down simply because they found out what I do. And you know, my accounts were in good standing. Everything was fine. One of those accounts I had for almost 10 years, I started it when I was 15 years old when I got my first job. And then, you know, seven years later, whatever it was, all of a sudden, Oh, we're closing down your account. Why? Oh, we can't tell you. And that was what I dealt with for like a good year from several different sources. Same thing with PayPal, with Airbnb, with Venmo, Bank of America, PNC. (laughs) Excuse me. Sorry. It it sounds so close to our friends who are in the um, uh, medical marijuana. Yes. It's very similar. Very, very similar. But it has such a moral... Well, that's all implementation of, for some. That's the whole state of Colorado that they can't have a bank at all because all banks are federally protected. Well, they're so, under, yeah, they're they're under federal law, well, right? So they're all worried about because it's legal in the state but not legal in the country. They uh, won't deal with any money from a dispensary at all. And now there's even a fear. I've heard people that they don't want to take their money out of the state they're in in fear that the federal government might come in and say, now you're transporting money across state lines. It, it, the, the law is so messy. No wonder we have lawyers because it's so hard to understand and it is made that way intentionally. And it keeps changing and evolving. They keep adding like little tidbits here and there. And it's so ridiculous. I mean, we know like one of our vendors, they actually sent one of their sisters to get a master's degree in financing in order to try to fight with the bank to get loans to expand the business. Yeah. Well, it's just like the, the earn it act that was just proposed. And I believe it was passed by, I want to say it was passed by the Senate and now it's moving into the next phase. Um, so, you know, call your representatives. Um, but the earn it bill basically expands on SESTA FOSTA and it um, basically implies that anything that's posted by a platform like a social media platform or any other media sharing platform, anything that's posted on that platform, the platform is responsible for, which is a massive infringement on freedom of speech. It's a massive infringement on privacy and it will not just affect the sex work industry, but all industries. And it, well, it also you know, impacts anybody who has anything even tangentially to do with, you know, like um, lingerie industry or sex educators, you know, there's all these different, different areas that kind of fall on the fringe of that, that will also be affected. Well, yes, now we have to really look into it because a couple of weeks ago, um, Instagram was shutting down left and right, a lot of sex educators um, content. Mm -hmm. And one of our um, friends that we follow is Sex Positive Families. They're teaching families how to talk to their kids about sex education. Nothing graphic, just talking about puberty, nothing like that. And they got shut down. And it was a fight to get back on. And it's like ridiculous. Oh, my God. Yeah, I think we have to research that one. We do. And I'm really hoping in six months things are changing or at least set the change to start revoking and because SESTA and FOSTA are, are just horrible laws. Yeah. They're, they're written obscurely to confuse people to, to basically roll them through fear, which, yeah. And if you add trafficking to anything, you can pass it. And people really don't have a, a, a solid understanding of what trafficking actually means under legal definition, because almost all sex work is classified as tra- trafficking, even if it's consensual, even if it's legal. If you are, you know, if you're arrested as an escort who's meeting a client consensually and legally, you can still be arrested because they can decide that you're violating XYZ thing. And then under SESTA-FOSTA, well, now you're a trafficking victim. And so that goes into the sex trafficking statistics, even though you're working consensually. So those statistics are skewed to begin with. And then that becomes, you know, then you see celebrities testifying in Congress about, oh, you know, think of the children. And it's really not about the children. 
Not you know, it, and it never was. And it harms and it harms victims as well, because then victims don't have the ability to, you know, to to go to police or to go to authorities. You know, and police is a whole separate issue. Um, but, you know, they don't have the ability to go to authorities and say, this is what happened to me and I need help. Because not only do they become a victim, but they also become a criminal themselves. Yep. So what's the conference we go to in D.C.? Uh, Woodhull Freedom. Sexual freedom. I think. We went two years ago and they made a very different point that the United States is the only country that doesn't separate sex work from sex trafficking. No, they do separate. That no. They don't acknowledge sex as work. No, so that's it's why all trafficking. It's, it's sex tra- no, it's sex trafficking and human trafficking. That's the difference. They, 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 because they don't recognize they, sex work. They don't, yes, they don't res- recognize sex work as work. So if you're a farmer, an immigrant working, then you are human traffic, which is completely different than sex trafficking. And just because of that skew, you could look through all the other countries. Human trafficking is including everything sex, work, um, they put sex separate. Yeah, it's the either. United States is the only one that separates sex trafficking from human trafficking, which mm. is ridiculous. Wow. Good. Yeah, I think we're good. We appreciate your time in this conversation. So please tell our audience where they could find you. Sure. So um, my most active platform is Twitter. So I'm at Lena Landry, just one word on Twitter. And then on Instagram, um, Lena.Landry. I have stores on many vids. I want clips, um, AP clips, Avian stars. I'm trying to make sure I tick all the boxes here. Um, I have accounts on OnlyFans on, hmm, let's see, let's see. I do have a Chatterbait account. I don't cam very often, but every once in a while I hop on. Um, did I hit many vids? I think I hit many vids. Yes, sure you did. Okay, and Pornhub. That's the big one too, um, Pornhub. I do have free and um, paid videos available on Pornhub. Other point, by the way, if you are somebody who is maybe not able to afford paying for your porn or for whatever reason, or you like to try before you buy, look for verified uploads on Pornhub because then you know that at the very least you're supporting the model and they're getting a percentage of the view share. So... If you oh. want to watch it freely, that's the ethical way to do it. <laughs> Did not know that. Learn something new. Interesting. Verify models. Got it. Well, we definitely want to support you in the industry. Yes. <laughs> so again, thank you very much. And let's see. If you want to find me, I'm John C. Luna on all the social media accounts. And I'm Miss Angelique Luna on all the social media accounts. And you can find all our information on sexpositiveneallover.com. So you, uh, anything else? I think we covered it. We covered it. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Sex Pods and Me. If you like our content, please like, subscribe, and preview us. You can find us on social media platforms at Sex Positive Me or on our website at sexpositiveme.com. You can also reach me on all social media platforms as Miss Angelique Luna. And you can find me at John C. Luna. And if you liked content like this and want some more, please subscribe to our monthly newsletter. And thanks for listening. Goodbye. Goodbye.